Today's guest has a perspective on healthcare gleaned from years of experience, and I'm very excited to share her with you. She is Jean Lamas. Jean is president and owner of Care Navigator, Inc. and Care Guardians, NFP, Inc. Jean has 24 years of experience as a registered nurse in a hospital setting, medical, surgical, oncology, cardiac, and addictions. Skilled home care, evaluation and setup of durable medical equipment, private duty nursing, utilization management, outpatient and inpatient care management, diabetic education, and insurance case management. She received her Master's of Nursing with a focus in business from Benedictine University and a bachelor's degree in nursing from Northern Illinois University. Jean obtained an ACMRN certification by the American Case Management Association and CCM certification by the Commission for Case Manager Certification. She is also a certified dementia practitioner through National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, Guardian through Center for Guardianship Certification, and a board-certified patient advocate. She also works on the Publications and Planning Committee for the Aging Life Care Association. And Jean will also be a contributor to my charity anthology book titled Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. So I'm so excited to share her with you. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Jean. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. You, Jean, have had a lot of experience as an RN in a hospital setting. So let's get started maybe by setting the stage. How and why did you go from nursing to patient advocacy? So a couple things that happened to me throughout my large and long career is that I would be in various roles within a big, large system. So I worked for a huge um, healthcare entity, and all these different roles that I had, I was gaining different experience and knowledge. And I would meet with families or clients, and I had a small amount of time within the role that I was playing at that time, whether it was, you know, doing durable medical equipment or utilization management. And people would say, a healthcare provider told me this information. And often, well-intentioned, that information was incorrect. And I would try to assist them, but I only had a small amount of time with them within my role to do the particular role I was doing. So I continued to hear that probably, I want to say on a daily basis, information that was related correctly that was going to lead that patient and family to the wrong road, basically. The other two things that happened were throughout my whole career, I had to advocate for my brother and mother and Again, well-intentioned healthcare professionals meant to do the right things, but I said to help avoid and uh, mitigate different potential medical errors that came my brother's and my mother's way, whether it was with their care, whether it was at the pharmacy level, whether it was at a physician office level. There's just too many people that are providing care well-intentioned and not all of that is orchestrated correctly. Yes, that's so true. So many people come into patient advocacy through real life experience. And it looks like you had both. I mean, you were actually in the healthcare side, but then dealing with family members really takes you to a completely other level because then it becomes personal. Absolutely. Now, we often talk about transition of care and how times such as hospital shift change, floor or unit change, hospital to rehab changes can be times that are ripe for miscommunication. And I know you work with the senior demographic quite a bit, and that's one that is especially susceptible to communication misses when it comes to hospital and rehab admission and discharge. Those are two times where I think people don't really give that much thought, especially discharge, the cars running in the no parking zone, everybody's excited to get out of there, 
and nobody really pays attention. Let's talk about those times and why, as we relate to the book title, why heart and heartfelt communication should be at the forefront of every caregiver's process during those particular times. Oh, that's a that's a great question um, and great segue. So often, what happens when somebody enters a hospital? Um, as a care manager, when I worked um, internally as a care manager, you are taught, which is true, that discharge happens on the day of admission because we're looking at an average length of stay of maybe three days. So that person is going to receive multiple amounts of input, information, trying to diagnose them, looking at their medications, trying to get them on the right medications, maybe changing medications, sometimes conflicting information from two providers who may not be on the same page, and information going back and forth in a printed chart. Now, or I should say in a computer nowadays, right? But a lot of times that information is dictated on a device, such as a dragon device, which interprets what someone is saying. And sometimes those interpretations are incorrect. And so you're trying to decipher between all these providers what's incorrect and what's correct, what needs to be clarified. So now you're at the patient level. You don't know all of that's happening. All these people are talking and putting information into a chart. We're getting towards that day of discharge when we actually have all the facts, right? We know the meds they should be on. We know the diagnosis. We know the plan. We know is it safe to go home or not or to go to a rehab center. That's all usually happening the day of discharge. It's all happening in real time. And you're still waiting for different providers to come in and give last-minute direction and guidance and discharge orders. There might be two or three doctors doing that. Well, all that information has to get relayed to the patient and family. Well-intentioned as it is, they are lay people. And as a lay person getting that information, it can either A, be misinterpreted on the chart level. Secondly, maybe a provider didn't enter his notes yet, or they didn't look at the home medication list versus the medication list at the hospital versus the medication at home. And really importantly, they may not have advised the patient, don't take all those bottles in your cabinet. This is your new medication list. You've got Lots of people giving them information, and the layperson may, like, misinterpret some of that. So it is a cascade of a major crisis that can ensue, and I actually have never been at a discharge as a care manager, healthcare advocate, where the medications are correct. Never. Uh, every time I have to correct something major, whether it's an allergy, a wrong dose, somebody missed their antidepressant because they were on a ventilator in the hospital, a breathing machine, and maybe those meds never got reintroduced. Lots of things that can go wrong. That's a huge statement that you just made that listeners really need to take heed that the medications have never been correct when you have been at the point of discharge. That's frightening. I saw that many times as well when I was with my mom. So thinking about the person discharging the patient at the time, Shouldn't they be realizing that these dangers lurk, especially during discharge time, and let me take the time, let me spend some time to really deal with this matter with heart, to say, let me look into all this to make sure it is accurate, or that is that just not their job? That's a great question. So the person that usually does all the discharge instruction is the floor nurse, whether it's at a rehab center or a hospital. And there's multiple calls going on behind the scenes. All that information is getting usually done within moments up to that discharge. So that clinician should spend the time and energy to do things efficiently, and there is a push within the healthcare system to try and do all those things correctly, and there are many meetings behind the scenes to talk about why it didn't get done correctly. Well, 
that the true uh, reason is, is there's a time lapse. The nurse on the floor that has to convey all that discharge information is still getting information up to the minute. The family is saying, we want to go home, we want to leave before it's dark out and it's snowing to get my mom back in the bed, et cetera. And there's only so much information and time by the time they walk in the room with that, armed with that information, the discharge paperwork. The discharge paperwork is only a couple pages long. It's a medication sheet, and it's usually one sheet that gives some basic instructions. You can only imagine all the things that a layperson wouldn't know to ask, and maybe the nurse wouldn't think to know, or the nurse thinks someone else is going to take care of it. That's the big thing. So skilled home care, a nurse might be coming to that patient's house, but they might not be coming out. They have to be out within 48 hours. It's Medicare guidelines. But now we're sending a new patient home with diabetes who doesn't know how to inject themselves, doesn't understand how to interpret the numbers. They have a wound. The nurse isn't going to be out there. Maybe the nurse will be out the next day because, you know, sometimes they know they have to come out within 24 hours. But did that information get relayed to the skilled home care company that somebody has to get out there because there's a wound? I know as a skilled home care nurse in my former life that a lot of times the wounds aren't on there or the fact that the patient doesn't have knowledge of their diabetes or whatever the other issues are. So the nurse who's discharging that patient, limited info, trying to give them high-level info, thinking that other healthcare providers are going to continue on that continuum or spectrum once they get home to keep educating them. But if you don't know how to open the Foley catheter to release urine out and you went home with a new Foley bag or how to clean it appropriately, you're going to fill up with urine and end up back in the ER, or you're going to end up not cleaning it correctly and getting infection, or if you have a wound you're not managing and the home care company never came out within a day because they didn't know there was a wound, now that wound's festering, right? There's mm-hmm. issues with it. Or diabetic doesn't know that they're shaking and their blood sugar's low. They don't even know that a number of like, let's say 40 with a diabetic is bad. So you got this person, the nurse, trying to give info, high level, to get somebody home, but these people are going home sicker and they, they don't have enough info. It's not really the nurse's fault. It's a system fault in healthcare. It's a much bigger picture than that. So it doesn't really sound like a people problem. It's more of a systems problem. Yes. And yet we have financial incentivization so that uh, if a patient bounces back to the hospital within a certain amount of days, then the, then the hospital realizes a financial tick. So it's a very bizarre system that obviously is not working. Correct. So what we're talking about now really makes the case for a person to hire a geriatric care manager, somebody there, or at least a family member at the very least, especially during these critical handoff times. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I know that a good care manager with a lot of experience that has expertise in multiple areas or a healthcare advocate, a lot of times I meet families And they say, well, I'm going to stay here six or seven hours today to catch the doctor. And what a care manager can do is read through the chart with the proper authorization to release medical records to their company and demonstrate if there's something that's amiss, whether there was a missed consultation. Maybe we need a kidney doctor to come in, a nephrologist, or a medication correction or error or reconciliation because it doesn't make sense. Like the patient has high blood pressure and they took them off a blood pressure pill because of issues early on. Maybe somebody gets dehydrated, their blood pressure is low, and it's never reinstated. The blood pressure is still high. We've got to question that. So those are things we can read in a chart, go to the care manager, go to the doctor, go to the nurse on the floor. We'll know who to go to 
to ask the right questions to get things clarified instead of spending the family eight hours a day sitting there. The other thing is, if you're sitting there all day to get instruction and the information is not relayed in the chart correctly, a lot of times people are human. They forget to write orders in the chart, uh, the doc, or the order was misinterpreted. Or, like I said, I you know, when things are transcribed incorrectly, it's not dictated correctly as a chart and it doesn't make sense. So there's a lot of clarification that you wouldn't even know to ask unless you were reading that chart to know the questions mm-hmm. to ask. The other thing is they're going to help you with things like, should you go to rehab? Do you qualify for rehab? Um, how do we keep you at home without going back to the hospital and medically manage your care? Because skilled home care, a nurse that comes to the house under Medicare, they're coming out for two weeks and they're coming out a couple of times. So a care manager can make sure you have the meds set up correctly, that the medications and the instructions are right, that you have the right care providers in place, that we're looking at long-term what you need. Can you Once you're in rehab, are you going to be able to go home? Do we need to start thinking about care at home? Can you afford care at home, or are we going to be looking at a community for you? We end up saving people a lot of money, a lot of time a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy, and I we do save a lot of people's lives. I've seen it many times. Yes, I would agree. Just having a trained set of eyes and ears and a mouth to speak up when necessary, I would think would save a lot of lives. Um, so that's something I think that our listeners should look into if they are going through a particularly difficult time and, and are needing someone to shepherd them through that. So it sounds we're talking about a lot of hard systems here that obviously need some improvement. But I think that it, on all levels, providers and even patients, we need to think about how we can improve those relationships between the healthcare provider and the patient and to approach it maybe with more heart or with more honesty so that some of these hard system problems could be alleviated. What are your thoughts on, on that? How how could the healthcare system improve heart or humor or honesty within healthcare? Oh, I can say a lot about that. I think that all healthcare providers should go through an intensive and rigorous training in emotional intelligence. You need to understand the person that you're speaking with, not just the client, but the particular family members, their family dynamics, and the healthcare providers that you're working with to better understand them. The reason I say that is you're working in a very intense climate. People are going to be exhibiting their worst coping skills sometimes when they're dealing with a crisis. And when someone's sick, everybody's scared. Everybody's worried. Understanding personalities, dynamics, how to speak to different people. I love to use humor, so I use humor with the the right client, somebody who enjoys that part. And I can say things like, okay, I know you know how to do this, but let's just see that you can. So humor is good. Honesty is so important. If you are a nurse or a doctor and you're about to prescribe something and it says in the chart that the patient is allergic to it, take warning, listen to the patient. Don't try to say, well, we know and it's it's documented that you're not. Say, you know what? I apologize. That will save you a lawsuit. There are studies showed if you apologize for things before there's a mishap, that people will respond to that, respect you. So if you say, you know, I'm sorry. Let me go clarify this for you right now. Let me review the chart. I believe you what you're saying. That pill doesn't look right. There are different pills depending on if it's a, if it's a chemical brand or generic. Let me go and look at the pill. Let me make sure I'm giving you the correct one. I think if people would just be honest and clarify things, people would feel safer within the system. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I lived this so many times with my mom and I agree with you just to be real, to treat people as hopefully you would treat your own mom. Now we're going to begin to wrap up here. So I need a little bit of final advice. If you were speaking to a room of healthcare providers and you have a lot of experience with this, what is the most important thing you would want them to do differently or better to improve relationships and therefore improve positive outcomes with patients and family members? Things that I would like them to do is to be open to listening. I know that they are the healthcare experts, but when you have someone coming in, whether it's a family member, a care manager, another nurse, whoever it is that's well-intentioned, that's asking a question or conveying a thought or letting you know some history that would be pertinent to maybe changing the course of action, just openly listen. Listening takes hearing the information and absorbing it and then spitting it back, regurgitating, maybe asking questions. So one of the things I can tell you with my own mom, when I was in the hospital at one point with her, a physician had been in and I had just come back because I, I needed to be with her. She wasn't alert and oriented. So I was with her all the time at that point. And I went home for a few hours, came back and he said, yeah, I'm making your mom a DNR. Now I know what that means because I'm a nurse, but a family member might not know that. I said, my mom is a full code, even though we've talked about it, and I've written up her end-of-life wishes with the physician that signed it, even though I know she's probably going to be on a breathing machine, she wants to be resuscitated. He started to yell. I said, I understand. And again, I stayed calm. We walked over to my mom's bedside, and my mom's super hard of hearing and doesn't understand medical jargon. I said, Mom, do you want them to pound on your chest or not? If you don't anymore, it's okay to revive you if your heart was to stop. She goes, yeah. Pound on my chest. We, we talked for a minute and the doctor stormed out of the room. So please actively listen. The second thing I would say that's really important is please honor a patient and family's wishes. And I hear this because I'm a nurse and I don't know if late people ever hear this. The, the words that are spoken are, that patient should be a DNR, mm. a do not resuscitate. Mm -hmm. That is a person's personal choice and there's reasons why they may or may not be a DNR. And there's reasons why the power of attorney, if the patient can't make those decisions anymore, has their rationale for being that person still getting care and treatment and being resuscitated if needed. Those are probably my two biggest things. Mm -hmm. And that's huge with the DNR. You touched on it perfectly. People don't know what DNR means. And so when a healthcare provider says so-and-so should be a DNR, well, maybe the people don't even understand what that means. Someone needs to sit down and explain and have a little lesson in that. And then maybe they could make an intelligent decision. But I think most people have no idea what that is, how it's done, what it means, what the ramifications are. So how can they make an intelligent decision if no one has taught them? Well, thank you, though, for addressing that. I think those are two very, very important highlights that uh, I hope folks take heed. The clinicians do need to take the time. I can't tell you how often I see them standing at the desk with a family member in a few minutes filling out a form, which is called a practitioner order for life-sustaining treatment or a pulse, and they have no idea what they just signed. Every time I meet with a client or family, they had no idea. They had so many choices. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really just you, you know, validating how important it is. I just want to validate that again. Thank you. Alrighty. Well, Jean, where can folks go to learn more about you and how can they contact you? So we have an intake number that is answered 24 hours a day. There are once in a great while, we'll go to voicemail. It's 847-250-1829. 
so you can always call. You'll be speaking probably with Kate in our office. It might be Dan or myself. And also our website is www.care-navigators.com www.care-navigators.com to get more information about us. Thanks for asking. Yes, yes, yes. All right, folks, it's Jean Lamas, L-L-A-M-A-S. The company is care-navigators.com. Phone number 847-250-1829. Jean, what a pleasure to have a conversation with you today. Do you want to leave us with any final words? Oh, I just appreciate getting the word out. So thank you. Thank you for everything. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.